0: We've been going through the Old Testament, we're up to 2 Kings chapter 7, 2 Kings chapter 7. Last time we saw that the king of Israel was in a bad spot. While he was in Samaria, the king of Syria had come there with his army and completely surrounded the city, cutting off their, all of their supply lines that were coming into the city. So a great famine occurred for the people living in Samaria because of the siege and if you remember the king of Israel had found out that the people were so desperate for food that the women had actually started eating their own children and when he found this out you know the king was was angry at God if you look at uh, chapter six verse 31 it says uh, Then he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. So he's mad at the Lord, but he's going to take it out on God's prophet if he can, if he can get his hands on him. So uh, this is not him coming to the Lord for help, but he's just expressing great anger towards the Lord. And we've seen this principle consistently in scripture, that conflict reveals the character of a person. You know, when the king of Israel was faced with this crisis, his reaction, it revealed his attitude that was very bad towards the Lord. And it's interesting that the Lord lets us see this because the Lord's about to rescue his people, you know, in a very powerful way. And this clearly shows us that the people didn't deserve God's blessing. You know, we we've seen it before too. We didn't deserve God's blessing, right? The Lord blessed us anyway. So even though the people didn't deserve it, God's blessing was based solely on his own character of being faithful to them and his great desire to show mercy and grace to his people. So we see some amazing things as we just kind of look at what's going on in the background and how people are reacting to things. Uh, We're going to jump into verse 33 of chapter 6 just to get back a little bit into the context here. Uh, it says in verse thirty-three, while he was still talking with them, this is Elisha. He was talking to uh, his the people, the elders that he was gathered with. It says there was the messenger coming down to him, and then the king said, and here's another statement the king had about his anger: Surely this calamity is from the Lord, and why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So again, he's he's just very angry with the Lord, and this lets us see, you know, that it wasn't a one-time outburst of rage that this king had he was consistently angry at the lord and astonishingly the Lord's going to bless his people despite their bad attitude against him man i tell you what the lord just shines and when you see a passage like this where the people are doing everything wrong they're even shaking their fists at the lord and the lord is still going to take care of them that's our loving gracious heavenly father uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. So the king has just been complaining against the Lord, and Elisha says, I have a word for you from the Lord. Here's his word. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour, which there wasn't any of that anywhere to be found in the city, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So the price of food is going to drop drastically, and that meant that the famine was going to be over, because the food is going to be plentiful, and it's the good stuff. It's the fine flour. We're back to the things they used to eat when, they were, when things were going good. So the food's going to be readily available. It's an amazing word from the Lord, okay? Verse 2 goes on, so an officer, on whose hand the king leaned, says his right-hand man, he answered the man of God, and he said, look. If the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, here's uh, the Elisha's response to him. In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So the right-hand man to the king here, he showed that he had the same bad attitude against the Lord. And somebody even said, I think it was the horrible example the king set, that this guy's just following that bad example. So he's going to be held responsible for that. So here, these guys are all upset with the Lord, even while the Lord was trying to tell them, don't worry. You know, I've got this, right? Because the Lord's going to give them food the very next day. It's not even next month you've got to wait for. It's tomorrow, and this is going to be here. So this man is an interesting picture of someone who has just been given the word of God, and that person's response is anger anger and mocking instead of receiving it. Now, we see this, you know, we try to, to witness to people, right? And we tell them about the Lord. Uh, they're, they're just like the officer in this story. The person we're witnessing to has just been told the Lord has some good news for them, but they're refusing to see it as good news. And it shows us, you know, the rebellion and the sinful heart of man, that even when you're given the very best news that you could hope to hear, you know, and it being through the very Spirit of God Himself, speaking through someone to tell you that, you decide to reject it instead of receive it, and instead of falling down at the Lord's feet in submission and deep, you know, gratitude, you shake your fist in the face of God. So it's it's no wonder that this officer was going to be judged and that he was not going to be able to enjoy any of the blessing that the Lord had just told him about. And sadly, you know, That's a picture of everyone who's given the good news of salvation, and they reject it to the very end. It's really sad. You know, they were going to be judged, and they will not be able to enjoy the blessing of the good news that was offered to them. You know, Wearsby said it this way. To the humble heart that's open to God, the word of God generates faith. But to the proud, self-centered heart, the word makes the heart even harder. he goes on to say, the same sunshine that can melt the ice is the same sunshine that can harden clay. Wow, it's all how you receive it, or don't receive it. Verse 3 goes on, this is where we stopped last time. Excuse me, now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? Now these four Unlikely guys are going to be a part of God's plan. And he's going to use them in a very powerful way. They're unlikely because they're diseased. They're lepers. You know, they're outcast. They're untouchable. They're considered unclean and defiled. People don't even want to be close to them. Don't want them around. But on this particular day, they're going to become the bearers of the good news of God. Pretty cool to see this. So God was stirring something up in their hearts to make them ask themselves this very important and profound question, why are we sitting here until we die? Now they're stuck in the same area, same fam and everything else going on, and they had this thought all of a sudden, why are we just sitting here waiting to die, you know? And I believe this is the first great challenge that the Lord has for us in this passage. And we may need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves the same question. Why are we sitting here until we die? And I really pray the Lord's going to stir things up in our heart too, and in your heart, my heart as well, that, you know, the same way he did with these fellows here. There's nothing wrong with asking ourselves, What plans do I have for serving the Lord before I die? We're all going to die someday, right? This body's going to quit or the Lord's going to come and call us home. But one day, we're not going to be the way we are right now. And until that time, we have opportunity to serve the Lord. You know, have you thought about that before? What plans do I have on serving the Lord before I die? I believe the Lord is calling out to each one of us who's listening today to examine ourselves with that question. And as the scriptures say, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit has to say. Let's go on to verse 4. These guys are still talking to each other, these lepers, and wow, it's an amazing conversation. If we say we will enter the city, the fam is in the city, and we shall die. There, it says, and if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. So they came up with three options. Okay, we don't want to just sit here till we die, so what can we do? All right, so three options they came up with. We can stay here and die. No food. We're not going to survive. What they did for survival then, the, uh, even back in the before the famine hit, the lepers had to stay outside the city. They weren't allowed in. So people would throw scraps and stuff over the city wall, and they could come outside and gather the scraps. There are no scraps. You know, the people are eating anything that's halfway edible and even not edible at this point. So they have nothing. So their first option is, do we stay here and die? That's what's going to happen. Do we go in the city and die? Because there's no food there either, so we're going to die here or there of starvation. Their third option was we could turn ourselves into the Syrian army and possibly, well, possibly we might survive. I mean, they could kill us too, but there's a chance they might have pity on us and give us some food, but it's all possibly, you know? So they could see that the three options they came up with there was only one that looked like it might even have half a chance. But there was an option they didn't see yet. And let's call that the God option. Okay? We saw this last time as well. You know, when we're we're faced with an insurmountable crisis, we may come up with a number of options too. We might say, well, I can do this or this or this, or we could try this or, or something else. But we need to remember and to remind ourselves and others that there is another option that maybe we haven't even seen yet, okay? And that's the God option. You know, so people should never give up on life in any situation, no matter how bad it looks, because God has options that we haven't seen yet, and he hasn't revealed them yet. You know, his ways are high above our ways. So you're, you find out God's got some amazing stuff there. So verse five goes on. So they arose at twilight... To go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. <clears throat> now, somebody said it's kind of funny if you pay attention to the wording here what they did. They could have come straight from the city gate into the Syrian camp. But that's probably where the, the guards and everything else were ready to attack or do something there. So they kind of snuck around to the back and tried to act like they were kind of strangers coming in the other side. So even in the outskirts of the Syrian camp when they tried to come up there, they realized nobody's here. So you think about this. These guys, I'm sure, were totally, totally shocked, right? God's options always surprise us because we never thought of them. We had no idea what could happen there, right? So when we come up with our best option, there might appear even to be a, a slight chance of hope for that maybe things might work out you know from what we guess at that point but when the, the lord reveals to us his god option it's just amazing and it blows us away it leaves no doubt that this option had to be from the lord look at verse 6 the lord even tells us how he did this which i think is amazing just to see for the lord had caused the army of the Syrians. Now remember, this army had completely surrounded the city. This is huge, okay? He had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So (laughs) they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Man, I tell you what, look what the Lord has done. Totally unexpected, totally shocking, but totally a huge blessing for God's people, right? So don't give up. Even when you think you're out of options, ask the Lord to show you his God option. You know, I believe the Lord loves to do this too because we see it throughout the Bible. If you stop and think about it, think about Abraham, for instance, you know, He thought his only option, as he's trying to do God's will, following it all along the way, he thinks his only option is to kill his only son, Isaac, right? But the Lord provided himself a substitute sacrifice. Changed the whole ballgame, right? (laughs) What a blessing that turned out to be, because it was a picture of Christ being the substitute sacrifice for us. And think about Jesus at the wedding feast in Canaan, right? They had run out of options, (laughs) We're in big trouble here. We're going to have a mess. We don't have any more wine, and we got a bunch of guests, and they're expecting stuff. So what did they do? They'd run out of options, and Mary said to them, do whatever Jesus tells you. Why does she know that? Because he's got these God options that nobody else knows about. He's got this amazing wisdom from the Lord, right? And when they accepted the God option that Jesus gave them, Jesus ended up blessing the entire wedding party. In us, we saw the fruit of this first miracle, right? I mean, it goes on and on and on. There are a number of places throughout the Bible where things look pretty bleak, but once the Lord revealed his God option, it changed the whole story in an amazing way, right? Verse 7 goes on here. Therefore they arose, and they fled at twilight, and they left the camp intact. So all of the Syrian army, (laughs) they got up, this sounds like the same time that the lepers were coming to see what's in there. They were headed the opposite way. They left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. So they took, they didn't take anything. They just said, we got to get out of here. So they took off and left everything behind. Isn't that interesting, right? Now, you know, as a soldier, you're not supposed to leave your stuff behind, especially not your weapons, Right? they're going to find they left those behind too down the road. So it's like, wow, these guys were scared, okay? Had they grabbed all their stuff when they left, this story would not have had a good ending. These guys would have still been starving inside, right? But look what the Lord had done. He filled them with enough fear that they left everything behind and they ran for their lives. The amazing plans of our God. You know, the people were thinking that things weren't going to get any better. And some even doubted that if God could do anything, what's God going to do? Open the windows of heaven? I mean, this how is this supposed to work, right? So there's a whole lot of doubt. But the Lord had a bigger blessing in store that they could even imagine. So never give up. You know, wait till you see God's option, and even then, you won't believe it. <laughs> you won't believe what God can do. So verse 8 goes on. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent, because there was nobody there, they went in, they ate, and they drank, and they carried from it silver and gold and clothing. These guys left everything behind, left their wallet, you know? (laughs) Everything was here. They just had to go in and, and get the pickings, because nobody took anything. They went into one tent, they ate and drank, carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and they went and they hid them. Don't want nobody else to take their stuff now. It is theirs, right? Then they came back and they entered another tent. And they carried, uh, carried some from there also. And they went and they hid it. So this blessing just went on and on, you know? But when you're at the point of seeing the riches of your blessing, don't forget to stop and think about how you can share this blessing with others. God blesses us so we can bless others. And this is is God, this is the way he works. God comforts us too, right? So we can comfort others. It's it's to pass through us, it's not to stop here with us, but he's gonna bless us, he's gonna take care of us, but he's doing that so we can do the same for other people, right? So it's not all about us. It's all about God working through us to bless others. And don't think that God can't use you either, you know? Even if you're a leper or an outcast, (laughs) God can use you to powerfully touch somebody's life. And we see the evidence of that in this very story here. So verse 9. So these guys are going in there. It's, it's major Christmas time. There are all kinds of stuff. They're taking it and hiding it. And they're probably thinking, where else are we going to put this stuff? Verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment is going to come upon us. Now, therefore, come let us go and tell the king's household. So it dawned on them, you know, and they they realized, we've got good news here. We've got life-saving good news. And that they weren't telling anybody else about it. So they said, what we are doing is wrong. Wow. So this, I believe, is another great challenge for us from the Lord in this passage. And I hope it really sinks into our heart. And that the Lord does the necessary work in our heart through this verse, you know? We're gonna talk about it a little more in a minute here, but but there's something else I want you to see. These guys, they had another thought too. They figured that if they waited any longer before they told everybody this good news, they were gonna be in big trouble. I mean, people's lives were hanging in the balance because they were starving to death, right? So people were dying while these guys were hanging on to the very news that could save their life. So their thought was they needed to go immediately to the king's household, even though it was the middle of the night, you know, probably 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning, and they need to let them know the good news that they had so they didn't get in huge trouble down the road for not sharing it. Now let's talk more about these guys realizing that they've, to discover we've got this amazing good news. The, The phrasing on this, the good news. Remember that word good, the word gospel in the New Testament, what does it mean? It means good news. So like these guys, we also have some amazing good news. And we should pray that the Lord wakes us up like he woke these guys up. They needed to share the good news and not keep it for themselves. Well, what if these guys, now think about where they're at, what's going on. They got food in their belly, right? And there's people over here that are starving. What if these guys came up with excuses like this? We don't really have to tell the people the good news. We'll just live it before them and hope they see a difference in us. That doesn't work in that picture, does it? Or the devil might have been trying to get them to be quiet about sharing the good news. He might have put the thought in their mind and said, Oh, they don't want to hear it from us. I mean, look at us. Who are we? We're just a few outcast lepers. We're nobody. It's kind of like God can't use us, can He? But that thinking is wrong. That thinking is from the enemy. These lepers were being elevated to some to be these powerful messengers of the Lord. You know, they're going to tell people that are starving for food, people that desperately need to hear their good news. And there are people all around us, too, that are starving for food, the food of truth. I mean, look how many lies are being fed into our culture and around the world, you know. And that happens on a daily basis. The devil is lying to people in this world. How long can they survive on a steady diet of lies they desperately need the truth of the good news that we possess and shame on us if we keep it to ourselves while others are starving especially in our own city and i believe we can learn a great lesson from these guys too and although it's a great lesson it's almost a secret and here's the lesson before these guys shared the good news they enjoyed the good news themselves somebody said it this way they they feasted on the good news themselves before they shared the good news with others let me ask you a question have you feasted on the good news that brought you the message of salvation have you feasted on that and by that I mean have you joyfully applied that good news to your life first or just taken passing you know what I mean have you has it gone deeper than that have you accepted the fact, and it's a true fact, that Jesus died to pay for your sins, and then he rose from the dead? And if you accept that fact to be true, and it is a true fact, then are you trusting in Jesus to save you? And by that I mean, if somebody came up to you and they said, when you die, are you going to heaven? Would you be able to say to them, yes, I'm going to heaven when I die, not because of I'm good enough or anything I've done, but because Jesus paid for my sins completely, and he saved me. I hope you believe that, and I hope that's your testimony, you know? Now, let me deal with something here before we go further, because since you've been saved, have you ever doubted your salvation? I dare to say that most, if not all, believers go through times when you do have those doubts, you know, and you're asking yourself, did Jesus really save me? Am I really saved? I mean, I think it's fairly common for believers to have those thoughts, you know, at certain times in their life. And I say that, excuse me, because we've got a common enemy, and I think he wants us to doubt our salvation, you know, so that we don't get too vocal about it. We don't go telling other people with great joy, man, you need to meet the Jesus I know, because he wants us to be a little off on that one. I mean, if we're not too sure that we're saved, right? How apt do you think we're going to be to tell others that they need to be saved too? You need what I got. I'm not really sure I got it, man, but I think you need it. You know, That's not a very convincing message, right? That's why I said I think these four lepers have found a great secret here to sharing the good news. If we feast on the fact that Jesus saved us, if we really rejoice in that fact that we are saved, I believe it's going to give us great boldness and joy in sharing the good news with others, you know? I want you to think about the idea of rejoicing over salvation. I mean, we're told in Scripture that the angels rejoiced when we repented, right? So they were celebrating our salvation first before we ever probably thought about doing anything like that, right? So how can we celebrate our salvation? But well, I want to mention two possible ways that we can do that, and there's more. But this is just a couple ideas. Okay, one is to have a private party, and another is to have a public party. <laughs> so let's look at the idea of having a private party first. Maybe you're a quiet person, and you may kind of, might be maybe you're kind of low key, and you're not someone that really gets too excited over things normally. So maybe you could just have a private party to celebrate your salvation. You just need some quiet time with the Lord, you know, talking to him, going through some of the verses that talk about Jesus paying the debt for your sins and how much God loves you, how God places you in the center of his love. Let's just look at a few of those verses that you can meditate on. John chapter 3 is uh, one of the first ones that can come to mind there. John chapter 3, and these are verses that You're not just reading these. You're in quiet time with the Lord. You're talking to the Lord about his word here and just kind of bouncing it back to the Lord of what he's been saying to you right here in his word. So John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, I thank you, you know, that you loved me that much, that you sent your son Jesus Allowing me to believe in him. And you told me if I believe in him and I have trusted in Christ, I'm not going to perish. But I have everlasting life. And it goes on in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That the world through him might be saved. Father, I thank you that you didn't send Jesus to condemn me. You could have. But you didn't do that. Thank you you sent Jesus to save me. So I not Look at John chapter 5. I'm sorry, guys. <clears throat> Stuff really gets to me. John chapter 5, verse 24. <clears throat> John chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. You already possess it. Present tense has everlasting life and shall not, there's the future. Shall not come into judgment, but has passed, past tense, has passed from death into life. And again, verses right there you can talk to the Lord about. Look at Ephesians 3. I'm just going to give you a few here to get you started if you want somewhere to start and you're wondering where you can start. There's obviously a ton of them in the scriptures here, but Ephesians 3, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and he's, he's living in your heart if you've trusted Christ. He's living there. That you being rooted and grounded in love, and that's not something you did, that's what the Lord did in you. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, what is the length, what is the depth, and what is the height to know the love of Christ. And we've been singing about that this morning. I think that's so awesome. I didn't tell Angie what we were talking about today, but man, I'm going through these songs and Lord, you just really, you're speaking to us today. You're speaking to us. If you read that description in verse 18 and think about where is the person standing who's saying this? If you're talking about width and length and depth and height, you're in the very center of God's love. To be able to, to describe it that way, that you can... You could talk about width, length, depth, and height. You're in the very center. Okay? So that's an awesome passage by itself. I'll give you one more passage. Romans 8, 1 should be a, a passage that's hopefully very, uh, very solid for you there. You probably had to go there before as the enemy's beating up on you. But Romans 8, verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is condemnation. No condemnation. But I know I just sinned this morning. There is no condemnation. I'm afraid I'm going to sin tomorrow. There is no condemnation. You know, you can talk to the Lord about that. Spend some time, like I said, just spend time with the Lord, talking to him and that, and, and make that a joyous celebration. Lord, thank you so much that you've done this, okay? So that's the private party. <laughs> But on the other hand, maybe the type of person that's more outgoing, and although you're okay with a private party, (laughs) maybe it'd be more beneficial for you to have a public party. You know, kind of like the party the father of the prodigal son threw for his son when he finally came home. Remember? The father said to his servants, Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. He was throwing a celebration. His son just wanted to crawl in the back door and hopefully get a roof over his head, food in his belly, and maybe find a job to to survive. Dad says, no, we're going to celebrate this. You were lost and now you're found, right? So maybe you need a public party. So for anybody who'd like something more public like that, there is nothing wrong with throwing a salvation party, (laughs) right? Where you can invite Christian brothers and Christian sisters to celebrate your salvation, And, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved either. I don't care if you got saved today or 30 years ago or even longer than that. It's never a bad idea to throw a Jesus party and make it a happy and joyous celebration like a birthday party because it kind of is, right? You're celebrating being born again as a child of God. You've got a new father now, a heavenly father. Man, there's a lot to rejoice over, right? So, those are just some suggestions on how to rejoice over your salvation. And whether you have a private party with just you and the Lord, or if you have a huge public party, or even some other idea that the Lord gives to you, hopefully the end result will be the same. That the joy of the Lord is going to well up inside of us, along with our deep gratitude for the Lord saving us. And then these things should significantly boost our desire and our effectiveness in sharing the good news. Isn't it funny? We get happy about something. We tell people, right? Yeah. That's that's just a normal thing with us. So we get overjoyed and thrilled about our salvation. We're going to tell people. I think it's cool. Verse 10 goes on. (coughs) So they went and they called to the gatekeepers of the city. So here's these lepers. They've come back to the city where, where all the people are held captive, they think, by the sieging army. So they went and they called to the gatekeepers of the city. And they told them, saying... We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied, and the tents intact. Now, remember, these guys couldn't come into the city because of their leprosy. So all they could do was shout to the guards at the gate from a distance. I like what somebody said. There was a lot of people they couldn't speak to, but they did speak to those they could. These lepers were saying that everything... Looked normal in the enemy's camp. What you'd expect to see? Except there were no people. (laughs) It looked like all the people just disappeared because the animals were still there and their tents were still up. But the people were completely gone. So verse 11. The gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. So they, they passed the message along. Verse 12. So the king arose in the night. Still nighttime. It's not morning yet even, right? They arose in the night and he said to his servants, let me tell you now what the Syrians have done to us. They know we're hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So the king's being pretty skeptical. And we can understand that to a point maybe because this news sounds too good to be true. And, and what's the, what do people say? If it sounds to be too good to be true, then it probably isn't true, you know? But this king also had been told by Elisha that the Lord was going to bless them with all the food they need the very next day, right? He, if he hadn't been complaining so much, maybe he'd have paid more attention to that message. Verse 13, and one of his servants answered and said, Please, let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city, Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. They're going to starve to death. Or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. They might survive this. So let us send them and see. Okay, Don't you thank the Lord for service? I tell you what, you know, this servant was very practical. He said it'd be possible, you know, we we could send some guys there. we still got a few horses left that could carry them. It's possible we could do this. And he's saying that maybe these guys won't make it, but maybe they will. (laughs) Yeah. So they were explaining that it's it's worth the risk, you know, to, to seek this out and find out what's going on. I think these servants must have paid more attention when Elisha gave the king that message from the Lord about God providing the very next day. And I think they were hoping that this was the answer they were all waiting for, you know. Can you imagine, there are people out there right now that are saying in their heart, oh God, if you're real, please let me know. They're starving for the truth. And if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, we may be the one that God will use to bring the good news to that hurting person, that starving person. Verse 14, so Yehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Oh, I'm sorry, I jumped the whole chapter. That'll really blow our mind. Mm Mercy's sake, The Lord is amazing. That's a little too wild. Verse 14, therefore they took two chariots with horses. Even a lot of them take a couple chariots. The king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army saying, go and see. So thankfully, for the, the sake of the people, the king was convinced to at least go check out this story. And thankfully he did because... There were people and families who desperately needed this food. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with us telling people to check out God's news about Je- the good news about Jesus Christ. Once you've explained God's love to them, you know, by sending his son to die for them, and you can tell them, go ahead and ask the Lord to come into your heart and your life, you know. And you can tell them, if they're sincere, the Lord is going to reveal himself to you. So it's okay to encourage people to tell them to go check it out for themselves. Nothing wrong with that at all. verse 15. They went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments, and notice, and weapons. These guys were so scared, they dropped their weapons. You don't do that as an army, right? That's unforgivable. You don't do that. So they dropped their, their garments and their weapons, which Assyrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messenger, messengers returned and told the king. I'd have loved to hear heard that conversation. Well, king, if they are hiding out, they're hiding out without their weapons, so I think we got a good chance here, you know? <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, so this is some very good evidence that the Syrians were not hiding in an attempt to ambush them because they left their weapons behind. And can you imagine how scared these guys had to be to leave everything? I'm not even going to carry this sword, man. That thing's going to hold me down. i got to get rid of that thing. Yeah, verse 16. Then the people went out, and they plundered the tents of the Syrians. So they ran out of the city. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And when these people took off, man, it must have looked like they were off to the races. I'm sure these people wasted no time in getting to where all the food was, and everything happened exactly as the Lord said it would. That's our God. He always keeps his promises. Always. Okay? Verse 17 now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned, that 's his right hand man who spotted off there to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king, king came down to him. So the king probably thought it'd be good for this right hand man you know to be at the gate, to organize the people, to make sure that everything was done orderly and all this but you don't want to get between starving people and a food source that they just found out about. And isn't it amazing that this guy really did get to see the miraculous provision, but he died before he ever got to taste any of it and enjoy it. Wow. Verse 18, so it happened, just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, two seas of barley for a shekel and a sea of flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. It happened just as Elisha had told them. And, and you, you would think that with Elisha's track record, that the king and the people should have believed him right away. But man, we are slow and hard to believe, amen? Verse 19, then that officer had answered the man of God and said, now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? Can God really do this? There's no God that big is basically what he's saying. And he had said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes. But you shall not eat of it. So, uh, since you think about this, since they were completely surrounded by the enemy, when Elisha gave his prophecy that the Lord's going to bring food here, it's going to be all over the place the next day, that officer must have figured, okay, in my head, how can that happen? We're completely surrounded, so there's no food coming from the outside. So, I guess God's going to have to open a window in heaven and drop it from above. That was his little brain trying to figure out how this is going to work. But surprisingly, God went even beyond what that guy's little imagination came up with. The Lord brought the food in by sending some outcast lepers with the good news. Who would have ever figured that one out? That's God. He's got plans that we could never figure out, right? Verse 20. And so it happened to him? For the people trampled him in the gate and he died. And he died with an empty belly. He didn't get to even taste the food. So this ends with a very stern warning for anyone who wants to mock God's promises. Wow, is this a powerful passage or what? You know, God takes us as his people and he says, look, I know you guys mess up. I'm gonna bless you anyway. You're my people. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm not encouraging you to mess up, but I'm just telling you, I'm always there for you. And when we run out of options Until we get the God option, we don't even know what can happen. We've got to go to the Lord. But the warning goes out to those people who might even hear a story like this and say, yeah, that couldn't really happen. That's just a story. That couldn't happen. You better read this last verse again. So it happened to him for the people trampled him in the gate and he died? Wow. How stubborn can mankind be? We don't want to hear the good news. We don't want to accept the good news. That's how messed up we are since the garden. Since Adam and Eve decided to make a wrong, wrong turn. Yeah. So guys, we're going we're gonna to pray at this point. But wow, what a passage. hope you can spend some time doing, playing your private party with the Lord or your public party, whatever. Go ahead and do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray it spoke to our hearts. And I pray you challenge us, Lord. Please don't let us waste our life. We need to serve you, Lord. Please stir our hearts. Don't let us rest until we say, yes, Lord, I will serve you. Whatever you call me to do, I will do that. And, Father, I pray you just continue to challenge us that we have this good news that saves lives forever. Lord, stir us up. Get us all excited about our salvation. So it just comes oozing out our pores and anybody around us says, what's with you? And we're able to say, "It's oh, it's all about Jesus. He saved me. Father, thank you for the work you're doing. This is your word. These are your people. We belong to you. I pray, Lord, you continue to work in our hearts. Help us to always be open to you. Stop the enemy from trying to put any junk thinking in our minds, any doubts, any distractions. Please stop him cold in his tracks. Help us to hold on to you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.